Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. To be perfectly honest, like I've always been, or most of my life, a reluctant leader, that people kind of wanted to put me in that position and I've always kind of shied away from it. I was just like, I just, I just want to be an actor. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Today's episode is from the Meta Performance Show, where I sit down with high performers who continually aspire to go beyond high performance. On this episode, I get to talk with actor and producer Cress Williams. Cress is an actor who's appeared in nearly everything, and this is just a sampling, the list is way too long, but he's been in Beverly Hills 90210, Living Single with Clean Latifah, NYPD Blue, Prison Break, ER, Heart of Dixie, Veronica Mars, Close to Home, Grey's Anatomy, Friday Night Lights, The Flash, and my personal favorite, The West Wing. Of course, his most recent work is playing the first ever black superhero on network television, Black Lightning, which just had its fourth season wrap up this past May. In this episode, we talk about the benefits of being a generalist versus a specialist when starting a career, leadership tips from the set of film and television, Vision, his historic role as a black superhero, and what he learned about leadership from Drew Barrymore. Enjoy the show. All right, we have the one, the only, Cress Williams. Thank you so much for being on our show. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm very good. Very good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for asking. And you just yeah. made a big. You just made a big move. You were in Atlanta wrapping up Black Lightning, and then where'd you where'd you go? Oh man, yeah, I was in Atlanta. I wrapped Black Lightning, and then I promptly moved my family back and did that and then i went to vancouver mm-hmm. and did a couple of episodes of the flash kind of yeah a little crossover reprise. action yeah a little bit of a little bit more black lightning so that was mm-hmm. that was fun i came home for about a week and then i took off to amarillo texas and did a movie there for like three weeks with a, a friend of mine uh writer yeah, Nate Scoggins. We did this movie together, which was like three years in the making, and finally got it done. And then we're also working on a, a pilot together, uh, a television project together. So uh-huh. it's a good thing we like each other because yes. we're seeing a lot of each other. Then uh, I came back and actually literally Saturday just wrapped another movie called Dead Wrong mm-hmm. that shot in and around really Santa Clarita. And yeah, and so that was completely different but a lot of fun and now i'm going to attempt to be normal through the holidays <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see how well that goes all right so <laughs> well and I'm, I'm happy for you to say that because and we already bragged about you on the intro so everyone knows who you are and has gotten a lot of your background mm-hmm. I, I, I won't have mentioned any of the things that you just said so i think people will be pleasantly surprised that there's life after dc like that you are stepping into all these different things and i, yeah. I, I want to put a pin in that we're going to get there in a second yeah. but i want to i want to start first with like a hard hitting question which is is it true that queen latifah taught you how to kiss <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's hilarious then we're going back to that um in a sense uh taught me how to stage kiss i, I should say film kiss that, okay. that, that yes that's true there for people who don't know there's like so there's kind of like kissing etiquette and you can throw that out if you know the two people are in agreement to throw it out but in general and it's interesting you'll watch now you'll never watch things the same so there's kind of a no tongue rule unless the two people are like, I guess, in agreement. So I, I learned that. Um, and it's interesting. I was, I remember I was doing a, a show called Heart of Dixie and, and my co-star, we had our first like kiss and she knew the rule, but I, I, I maybe I just, uh, she just got carried away. Cause I remember our first or like kiss and she, she her, her tongue 
She just went for it. Yeah, and then she and she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." So she knew. Yeah. Oh no, no, it's okay. You know, I understand. You got carried away. So yeah, she taught me uh, the no tongue rule. Now, did did you learn the same way your your co-star did in in Heart of Dixie? Like, did you go for it? And Queen Latifah was like, "Hold on a second. Or was she more like, "Hey, you're new," because this is this is one of your first roles ever. This is Living Single. Yeah. 1993. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and the 90s are back. Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I I know I was just deathly nervous, and I think in a very nice way, she kind of let me know. Yeah, if I can remember, you know, if I remember correctly, <laughs> and you know, the rest is history. Absolutely, it took off from there. Like, so if, yeah. if you're ever writing like a memoir of how to be successful as an actor, <laughs> rule, rule number one: have Queen Latifah. Teach you, teach you how to kiss, how to kiss, and everything will take yeah. care of itself after that. Yeah. Well, she's the equalizer now, so I guess if I did it wrong, she'd just like snap my neck, and she would just take. Yeah, she would go yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So, all joking aside, the um, and we'll get to living single and and uh, which is which wasn't your first role. There's another thing we're going to talk about in a second that was I think your first role. But yeah, before we get there, you were born in uh, you're American, but you were born in Germany. Yes. Yeah. My my father, um, he was drafted. It was during Vietnam. He was drafted. Fortunately, he never went to Vietnam. My grandfather, which I didn't know all these things, but like in the in the armed services, I, I guess there at some point during basic training, there are written tests that you have to take a bunch of okay. tests. And my grandfather told him, you know, if you do, if you want to avoid the front lines, you need to score really high on these tests. So Interesting. He, okay. he did. Yeah, he was originally was going to be stationed in Alaska. <laughs> but then wind up trading with a, a buddy of his because it was a buddy of his who really loved fishing and I guess was was into ice fishing. And so they traded. And so he ended up in Germany. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes, he reached out to my mom and said uh, they were married. And uh-huh. he said, you know, come, you know, come to Germany. I want to make a baby. <laughs> and and so, yeah, she did. And and I was conceived and and born in Heidelberg, Germany. And then shortly after that, we came back. And so I don't have any memory of Germany. One of these days, I'd like to get there and, and actually yeah. see, but I don't have any memory of, of Germany. And came back to Chicago, and then my parents divorced. And, and when I was around three, um, my mother and I moved to Southern California. And then did the schooling, did all the things. You went to UCLA. Yes. I was not surprised, but I, I think that I was... Yeah, maybe surprised. Your background was in uh, really theater. Was that what you studied at UCLA? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had this thing in me that, like, I mean, I I, uh, I knew I wanted to be an actor for a very, very long time. I mean, you know, uh, eight, nine years old. Uh, I think I, all I could articulate is I wanted to be an entertainer at, at that mm-hmm. particular point. Yeah. I grew up watching lots of, like, classic movies. And so you have a lot of, like, you know, old movies, old musicals, old comedians. I actually was really drawn to comedy more than anything else. Jerry Lewis was my favorite. And, yeah, um, yeah. And then as I started to like really expand, when I saw, uh, I think Marlon Brando acting for the first time was when I started to really appreciate the whole scope of it all. But then no one in my family, at least in my immediate family, has ever like completed college. Uh, some have attempted and then never finished. And so there was something in me that really wanted to do that as well. And so the the logical thing was I'll go to school and 
get the degree and major in in theater, even though like I was never really people say, oh, yeah, you had you wanted something to fall back on. It was no, it wasn't that at all. Like I was never going to fall back on anything. But I, I just wanted to 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 do that and yeah. say that I, I I did college and I should if I'm going to do that, then I should do, you know, what I actually want to pursue as a career. And so, yeah. Yeah, well, you went to one of the best in terms of theater departments and UCLA's world-class. And then did you, I think in one interview, I heard that you said you went right from UCLA into working. Is that you went right from UCLA into working in theater? Were you doing acting? No, I went right into, and it was really odd. I was coming upon my last year at UCLA. And well, before I went to UCLA, I went to a community college in uh, Fullerton, Fullerton Junior College. And I actually stayed there for like four years because the theater department was amazing. And mm-hmm. and the the leaders in the theater department really had a passion for theater. And, you know, everybody coming in, every kid wants to be a big famous star, but they're like, mm, yeah, OK, whatever. But we're going to teach you every <laughs> aspect of theater. You're going to learn you know, painting and wardrobe and and lights and sound and all of these things. Really? Yeah, it was it was uh, phenomenal. I mean, at one point, I worked as a scenic painter. I worked for a scenic painter and did that for a little while. I've stage managed. I've assistant stage managed. I've directed. I've run lights. I've run sound. I've you know just about everything that I've, I ever made a uh, a Renaissance cavalier actually to be to be really accurate period costume that I still, if I have to go to a, a, a costume party, I'll drag that out because it still fits. Yes. Wow. <laughs> and I've gone to Ren Fair in it. And uh, <laughs> so you, I learned all these things at this college and my high school didn't have a theater program. So when I got to college, I just felt really behind because mm-hmm. a lot of kids, you know, did plays in high school and I didn't really do that. So I just kind of stayed there and I felt like I was behind and I was like, I'm going to stay here and soak up as much as I can. And I'll, I'll, I guess I'll know when it's time for me to leave. Yeah. And so I stayed there four years and I transferred to UCLA. That sounds, is that typical of a theater education where you're just exposed to everything? Is that atypical? It's atypical, actually, because when I went to UCLA, um, everything was really parceled out. Like if you were really into technical theater, then you were kind of like, that's your thing. If you're an actor, that's your thing. And when we were at Fullerton, when you finish a production, they, they do what you call strike. That's how you you know, you know tear, tear down the set and make way for the next. The, the funniest thing is like in the very, very beginning my first acting class at, at uh, Fullerton, I, like I said, I hadn't, I think I did one high school play that performed for one night. And that was my only like real experience. So I didn't know anything about theater. And yeah. there, there was a, a, an outdoor kind of cultural arts center that they would do outdoor theater in the summertime called the Muckenthaler. My professor at one point, he's like, you know, hey, we need some volunteers. We're going to be striking the muck this week. Now, just as a regular civilian, like yeah. strike is you're picketing. Yeah. And so <laughs> I remember and I didn't I didn't say anything because I felt like it was probably a dumb question, but I just kind of kept quiet. But in my mind, I'm like, why are they, you know, picketing the muck and what who, what is the muck and what did it do and what's wrong? So, yeah. I, you know, eventually I learned that, no, that's what tearing down sets means. But at, at Fullerton. No matter again, no matter who you were, you had to come to strike. Mm. No matter what your skill level, and help tear this set down. So if yeah. you had no skill level, they 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 send you off to sort 
you know, nails and screws. And then wow. if you had a real, you know, if you had a real, they'd give you a Makita and like, okay, take that down blah, 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 and everything in between, whether you're sweeping or at a, at whatever. At UCLA, I never ever did any of that because it was like, yeah. oh no, there's a whole group of people that do this and this is what they want to do. You're just an actor. You're, you don't have to do this. <laughs> so it was, it was very different. Very different. Yeah. And how do you think that shaped you? Well, it, it it taught me an appreciation for the the kind of family team aspect of theater. Again, I, I at Fullerton, I directed plays, and as a director, you're kind of like the captain, and you have a whole team. You have your you know your lighting designer, your set designer, your costume designer. You're all together trying to make this thing happen, and and they ideally are are like the specialists in their field and they're also kind of there to bring you back to earth when you're like i want to do this and they're like yeah that's not possible or yeah it is possible we're gonna have to do this or that and, and all of that and it really kind of taught me all the aspects and that no one you know acting is the glamorous job but it doesn't happen without everyone yeah and 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 there is no you know there's no peon there's no you know, uh, we're all doing it together. And hopefully I'm a specialist in my field and I'm going to trust your specialist in your field. And so I'm not going to tell you how to do your job and I'm going to lean in and trust that you know how to do your job. So yeah. I think it, it, it created this aspect that I, I people seem to really, when you, when you start moving into television, like I realize there's very, very few people who have that app, that that attribute. Um, when I talk to wardrobe mm -hmm. people so many times, they'll be like, oh, what do, what do you want to wear? What don't you want to wear? What brands do you like? What brands don't you like? Uh, just like it's the it's the character. And yeah, yeah, uh, I trust you. You can do your you, you can do it like I you focused on this. Just like you're not going to be on set telling me, Chris, that that the way you're going to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um but I think that that theater training kind of taught me to really appreciate everybody. That's incredible. Well, you mentioned theater, and then I and forgive me because I've watched The West Wing like a thousand times. Yeah. And there's a scene in The West Wing where you have like a fedora, and you kind of sash. I don't even know if you remember this, but it, you, you you like sashay almost. It's it's a scene where all the all the characters that are on the campaign end up sleeping with each other, and they yeah, kind of like we're in like off. a hotel. Are we in like a hotel bar? Yes. Yes. And the, and you do like a little. Cagney, like fedora hat with a little sachet. And I was like, as you were talking about your theater background, I was like, is he, was he, is that what he's pulling from with that? Like, did they ask him to do that? Or is that just him kind of bringing some, some flavor to the role? That was, I, I, I mean, I, if I remember correctly, I think that's me. Mm -hmm. I am, it's not so much even a theater thing. Like, again, like I said, I'm like old school films, Cagney, all those things. And I'm a huge hat fan. I have tons of hats. My, really? my, my mother-in-law, yeah, she gives me, uh, when in doubt, like whether it's birthday or Christmas or anything, she gives me a Gorn Brothers gift certificate because, you know, mm -hmm. she knows that's always the safest thing to do. That's a win. And yeah, so, I mean, I love hats. I love, I kind of, I love accessories, you know, and hats are like one of the ultimate ones. Yeah, especially back then. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my, first, my, you know, first memory is that my my grandfather had this hat rack right by his door and it didn't have a ton of hats on it but like had his work hat and, and these different things and i used to love putting it on as a kid and so now i just i love them my, my last character that i just finished in this movie i play an insurance investigator and it's kind of a dark 
it's like a Fargo-esque comedy. Mm -hmm. But he just felt like this like throwback film noir detective, even though he's, you know, uh, an insurance investigator. He also kind of reminded me of like Popeye Doyle and the French Connection and, you know, that's the hat. So hats were a big part of that character. And and it it was a low budget movie. So they used mine. Um, (laughs) But I I took them home every day. I was like, okay, no, I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back. But I'm not leaving my hat here. (laughs) It's not a prop. No, not a prop. These are... These are my, I think, you know, like the one, I think one of the ones I used was given to me as a gift. And so I was checking, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take these home. I'll, I'll bring them back every day. Yeah. I'm reading Ron Howard's uh, biography right now. Him and Clint Howard wrote a biography together about their family. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's very good, by the way. I highly recommend it. And he talks about how particular he is about his hats. And, you know, part of that's him covering up his, his bald head. But yeah. even before, he, before, even before he went bald, like like groupies during happy days would try to steal his hats and he'd be like, huh? And he would like chase really? down a groupie and grab his hat back. And he's like, this is my hat. No way. I, I would do that. Thankfully, though, I still have my hair. So that yes, it's, not to, it's not to hide it. It's just, I don't know. You put on a hat and you you have like a different personality. It's a good look. Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate you for bringing that to the West Wing. It was, I, I, don't, I don't know why that stuck out to me, but I've always remembered there's a little extra flavor that you brought to that little scene. And I was like, I wonder where that came from. All right. So now on this, this more serious things as an outsider of film, one of the things that I appreciate Mm -hmm. is the, the rapid succession of bringing teams together, doing a thing, dissolving, bringing teams together, doing a thing, dissolving. Yeah. And you know, most people, if they're on teams, they're on teams for years or, or sometimes decades. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents were public school teachers for almost 40 years. And they kind of had like the same team. Yeah. For a long time. You've been on, hundreds of teams yeah. coming together, dissolving, coming together, dissolving, coming together, dissolving. Yeah. And as we keep talking, I want to, I do want to tap that experience in terms of, in your opinion, well, let me just ask you, in your opinion, like what makes a great team? Uh, what, what do you think? What have been some of the attributes of some of the best teams you've been on? Cause a lot of our, our listeners are either on teams or leading teams. And I'd love yeah. to hear your experience from that. Yeah. I mean, well, I think the biggest thing, you know, is, is the first putting the team together. If you, really do your job in finding in each individual position the best that you can, you know, not mm-hmm. for any other reason. Oh, they look right or whatever, but they're actually the best in their position. Plus they have a personality that you want to spend some time with because, um, <laughs> you know, film sets are 12 hour day minimum. Wow. So if you do that part of it well, then the it'll take care of itself. The rest of it takes care of itself. Being willing to be egoless and allow yourself to not be the smartest person in the room or the strongest person in the room. But if you have people who are smarter than you and stronger than you, then you can, you know, lean on them. And I think another thing is just compassion. Like again, that nobody's job is better than anybody else's. And so also picking those people that that understand that. It can be a really uh, amazing experience. And and you know, it's it's I guess theater was kind of the first place I learned that because it is kind of, it's like that. I mean, we were in little programs, so we had the same students and you'd see them, but you'd come together for a show um, and everybody's in different positions. So you'd have, you know, maybe at one point your best friend, you're, you know, in the play together. Uh, Maybe on this play, you're painting a set for them and they're directing that play, or maybe they're running a spotlight, but Mm -hmm. it is like you come together for a period of time and then you strike that set. Yeah. And it's and then that team is dissolved and then another team is coming in, which is very film like, you know, with television. It's like 
you start to create a, a real bond because you you're doing it ideally for multiple years. Yeah. And so you're kind of doing life together. Um, you're yeah. coming back after Christmas and coming back, you know, after summer or hiatus and and going, hey, what did you guys do? And hey, how's your family? And, you know, so it's much more it's much more of a family. Well, and you've been on several families. I mean, even a few things that we mentioned at the, the top of the show, but, you know, ER, Heart of Dixie, Black Lightning, West Wing, Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, that was a first. Single, yeah. Right. And so I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, can you talk a little bit about... I'll put you on the spot and then you can broaden it if you want. But okay. the, the spot is who have been some of the best leaders you've worked with or the, maybe the best leader you've worked with and, and what were they like and what did they do that you really admired? One of the first things that, that comes to mind, um, and it's weird on a set because sometimes depending, like in theater, most of the time, it's like the director is really the leader um, and everything goes down from there. But then film and television can get a bit distorted because Sometimes you have actors who are more powerful or more famous than the director. Mm-hmm. And on some level, they're kind of the leader. Mm-hmm. They can be at times. Or you have actors yeah. who are producing as well as acting. And so mm-hmm. they are also the leader. I don't know if, if she's like the best leader, but when I did a movie called Never Been Kissed with uh, Drew Barrymore, and mm-hmm. she was the lead, but her company was also producing it. And, you know, there was a director, obviously, but... In a sense, she she was the leader and her energy was so like uh, caring and and loving that it trickled down because that's another thing about no matter what you're doing, if you're the leader, it, it, it starts from the top down as far as what kind of environment you're creating and the energy that you're creating. You know, if you have a toxic leader, toxicity trickles yeah. down. If yeah. you're a really compassionate leader, compassion trickles down. And so she was just very down to earth and and loving and caring and compassionate and was looking out for everyone and everybody's well-being. And so that trickled down. And I, you know, I've seen other leaders and I, I don't yes. I'm not naming names on this side. Right, right, right. It's easy, especially from an acting standpoint, to be very self involved um almost ruling out everyone else and just focusing on yourself when you go to a set a lot of times you know there's just people around they they follow you and make sure you get to set and you know they may follow you to the bathroom not like in the bath but they're like there's somebody yeah. following you if you want water or coffee or whatever boom somebody's ready to, t- to go get it for you and so i guess that can translate into actors being just hyper consumed about themselves and about what they're doing and and have no awareness of anyone else and i've seen a lot of actors like that a lot of leaders like that but once i saw like how drew barrymore carried herself i i was really determined to be like that and to to say no you can you can do your job like as me as an actor i can do i can be focused and do great work but still also be aware of everyone else because no matter how much no matter how long i'm on set a director's on set long more than me uh all the crew are on set and working more than me and they're away from their homes and their families and and so i think you can do both you can compartmentalize and worry about your performance but also make sure that people are all right what do you have any 
stories isn't necessarily the right word, but like any examples of what Drew would do, I get, I make up that part of it was just her energy and her way of being, but yeah. is there anything tactical that our leaders can be like, Oh, that's great. I, maybe I should think about doing something like that. I think, I think the idea of just, you know, engaging in with your team, not, not lip service, but like really engaging with them, really talking to them, really seeing how they're doing and, and, mm-hmm. and trying to keep your awareness, not just on yourself, but on, on everything, because you'll notice if someone doesn't seem like they're doing well, or uh, at least you'll pick up on the differences of like, you know, this person tends to be like this, but then today they tend to be outgoing, but today they're rather quiet. And if you're if your awareness is out there, then you'll see that, and then be able to step in. So I think it's just getting out of your own way, kind of having your your energy and awareness on a swivel yeah. is what accomplishes that. Yeah, it sounds like she's just like really dialed in, paying attention to caring about almost like a pastoral role, like saying, yeah, yeah. caring and about I, people. And she wasn't, you know, she was acting, but also, again, it goes back to like picking your team because it was her company. So there were producers who were also a part of her company who were there. And it just seemed like they all had the same energy, mm-hmm. that type of energy. So I think it, it, you know, she obviously picked her her people correctly and they were you know represent in a sense of extensions of her representatives of her i would imagine that if she was kind of a self-involved selfish person then she probably would have picked those types of people and it mm. would have been that sort of energy yeah well and that's a fun conversation for any leader to say okay what's my what's my energy or what's my attitude or what's my perspective or what's my way of being that i bring and am i replicating that is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Yeah, yeah. I, any leader, um, artist or leader, I think it requires um, some introspective honesty. Mm. You know, you you need to be honest with yourself of like, what can I do? What can't I do? What are my strengths? And then what are my shortcomings? Because that's another thing. If you can be honest about, okay, I don't do this very well, then you should pick, you know, team members who, that they have that in spades. Yeah, this is shifting gears a little bit, but you, you're talking about the difference between oftentimes people who are actors have a lot of power on on set and how they choose to use that power. Yeah, and you, you've spent a bulk of your career. I mean, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think before Black Lightning, you you were a, a working actor for decades. Yeah, as a supporting role, so you weren't necessarily the the, the point person or like the star necessarily. Right. And right. there's there's a whole, you know, there's a whole ecosystem of people who make a living on television and they're never the marquee. And th- there's something I think really beautiful about that. And I'm curious for you, we're going to pivot into what it's like being the lead here in a second, but yeah, like what in your mind, what do you think makes a fantastic supporting role? Because people are on teams, not always a star either. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They're, they're oftentimes people on teams. They're they're playing a supporting character to somebody else sometimes. And yes, so like, what 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 are what makes that excellent? And how do, how do people get that right? And how do sometimes people get that wrong when they're not the point person, but they're on the team? Yeah, well, I think it's important to look at the the project and in whatever form in its entirety. At some point, as an actor. Uh, at least for me, when I'm reading a script and and I, even from an audition standpoint, you know, you get something and it's like, okay, this is kind of what they're looking for, or this is the description of the character. 
I tend to like read a script really slow because I look at everything and I, I, I need to see it visually. And so I don't just gloss over to like, okay, where's my line? Mm. I look at everything. And in that, in that instance, I'm almost the director at that particular point. I think in any situation like that, even if you're just, you're, you're serving a purpose at some point, you need to look at something as if, you're the leader. Look at it from an overview perspective, because then you can start to clearly see really what your role is mm-hmm. and really what what purpose are you serving? And so I think when you do that, then you can more clearly serve that role and you're not going to, there. you know, there, there are boundaries, even from in an art, there are boundaries There's and there's from here to here and you can play all up in there. So there is freedom, but there's still these boundaries that you have to like adhere to, whether they be like story boundaries, character history boundaries, so that you can't leap outside that boundary. Otherwise, it's just not usable. So if you look at it from that full perspective of like, okay, here's the moment where I put on the leadership hat and I can look at the full thing. I know where I'm supposed to be. And I think people who are in supporting roles, sometimes, again, they get just very myopic and all they do is look at their stuff. Yeah, that's that's all they do. And they have no clue as to the bigger picture. And so they're focused on this and it missed the mark. And that's a lot of times they're, you know, they're they they kind of go beyond boundaries. That's really good, Chris. There's some brilliance there. I just want to suss out for audience just for a second. Yeah. Uh, One is I I love the idea of we can turn this into a metaphor. Like when you get the script are you just looking for your part or are you like in coaching, we call it having like a radical ownership mindset. Like, are you treating this, what you said, like treating it like you're the writer or you're the director or you're the, mm-hmm. the, the leader yeah. and having that ownership mindset of, okay, this isn't just the script. How can I relate to this? If this is my script. Right. Yeah. And you know, this happens oftentimes when we're leading meetings and things like that. Are you showing up to the meeting just thinking, okay, how does this affect my small part in this thing or are you showing up thinking this isn't just a meeting this is my meeting and how can i make this as good as possible for everyone i think there's some brilliance there uh also i can't i you know this is going to become kind of an accidental theme coming back to your experience in theater yeah being forced to experience all the different roles there's actually exercises that teams can do where they pair up with people cross-functionally who are have completely different jobs than they do in an organization or on a team. Yeah. And they'll share questions like, what is it like having your job? What are the stressors of your job? Is there anything I can do to make your job easier? And when yeah. like an accountant and an executive or a janitor and a middle manager get together and they have that conversation, how it, one is it humanizes things, mm-hmm. but also it like it broadens their aperture mm-hmm. to see the, the whole picture, to see the whole script. Yeah. And it sounds like this is something that you do. Was it naturally? Have you learned to do that? Um, again, I think it goes back to that theater training. It goes back to yeah. being forced to who, <laughs> well, initially it was right. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. honestly, I, I, I stepped into school and when I went to, to junior college, I, I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to this because, you know, it's a two-year college. That's what they say. They say it's a two-year college. So I, I'm going to go here for two years, discover how talented I am, and then move forward. And fortunately, I just was, I, I felt like, again, that I was an underdog and behind and and there was a lot more to learn. And, and and going back to that idea of like, 
because it's even an acting thing at times, usually not in film and television because there's just not enough time, but even in plays, there there are times when you, just as an exercise, uh, will switch roles hmm. for a day, you know, oh. uh, or a rehearsal and go, okay, you read the other person's role and they read yours and you kind of gain some perspective from that because as, as an old teacher of mine used to say, from an acting standpoint, it's like why actors need directors is because when you're in it, you're in what he would call the fishbowl. So your perspective is distorted. It's slightly distorted. Like I can kind of tell on, on a certain level when things are working and when they aren't, but I've been I've been known to be wrong. There are times when I thought something was just, I was just, just it was horrible. Like it was just, I suck today. And then I'd see the end result and go like, Oh, okay. I wasn't that bad. Okay. Okay. You know, um, or subsequently I was like, yes, I'm killing it. And then you look, you're looking, Ooh, what did I do? You know, because yeah. I'm in the fishbowl, it's just, I'm distorted. And so I think everybody in their position is in somewhat of a fishbowl because they're just kind of focused on what they do. If you can, you know, gain some perspective from somebody else who's outside the fishbowl, who can tell you, okay, this is how I see this. This is the, some of these things that you're not seeing. I see them and, and vice versa. So I think yeah. being able to talk to other people about their other jobs, maybe even kind of stepping in their shoes for a, a moment or day, yeah. you gain some perspective. And sometimes, you know, that's why we, we seek advice from people because when you're not in it, you have a perspective where you can clearly see what the problem may be or the advice that should be given. You know, when you're even just from an interpersonal level, when you're talking to, you know, friend who's like, oh, let me tell you the situation. Does did this girl like me? Well, you could, you know, from here, you're like, not at all. She, yeah. she, she actually, no. And actually like, you didn't, no, she's totally into you. Like yeah. from that perspective. So I think being able to lean on other people and maybe even that exercise of stepping in somebody's shoes for an hour, you know, can really it makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, and you just made a fantastic case for coaching. I mean, that's the that's that's our whole industry is being outside of the fishbowl, mm-hmm. inviting people to look at things from another perspective, yeah. which can really help. Just briefly, I remember one time I bought these like custom Nikes and I was really excited about them and they're like my travel shoes because I wanted to look sharp while I was traveling and and I got on the plane and my feet were so swollen, they were so tight in the shoe and I was like, "Oh man, I got these shoes are too small." And I was flying with my sister, who you know, and we were going, yeah. some, I think, to New York City for a gig. And and I was complaining to her about these shoes that I had and how frustrated I was. I didn't want to buy new shoes because I spent so much time customizing these stupid shoes. And she looks at me and she goes, uh, have you tried loosening the laces? <laughs> and I was like, nope. And so I, I loosened the laces. I was like, oh, so when I travel, I'm on a plane and my feet swell. I don't have to buy new shoes. I can loosen the laces, but I would never have, I'd like, you know, I'd never would have thought, I don't know what's wrong with me. But, you know, and it's always obvious to somebody else, right. but I was kind of in my feelings. I was kind of in my pain. I was in my frustration. And yeah. I feel like when you're in your character and your role or in your, you know, whatever you're doing on set, it's yeah. helpful to have someone say, Hey, have you thought about loosening the laces and making something better? You should put that in a t-shirt. I should loosen the laces. Have you thought about loosening the laces? <laughs> so, okay. So, so now two, two things real quick. The yeah. one is you've been in the industry a long time. I know yeah. that it's not all up and to the right all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in yeah. fact, and I was, I was surprised to hear this. Mm. Can you talk to our audience a little bit about where you were before you got the call for Black Lightning and you had gone out for Luke Cage, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that was actually, I mean, it was quite a, a few years before that where, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. 
I grew up watching tons of, of superhero cartoons. I didn't read a lot of comics, but I grew up watching tons of superhero cartoons and mm-hmm. fantasy and sci-fi and all these things. And as as the whole superhero thing became a, a thing, when it became like a legitimate genre, I was just like, oh, it became like a bucket list thing for me. Yeah. I think a, a mutual uh, friend from Earl Church, Mosaic, He was he's a writer and a huge I mean, huge comic book fan. And years before this even came about, he was like, oh, dude, you should play Luke Cage. Are you, talking about, like, are you talking about Jim Krieger? Or Krieger? No, no, Jim Krieger? Scott, uh, it was Scott Reynolds. Scott Reynolds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dexter. yeah. Writer, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he, this is before anything. It was like, you know, he was like, you should play Luke Cage. I'm like, who's, what is that? Like, who is yeah. that? And he yeah. broke it down for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe someday that'll happen. Blah, blah, blah. So you fast forward to, you know, Marvel, Netflix doing their thing and Luke Cage coming to fruition. And this was challenging for me because a lot of times I keep a lot of auditions and things like that under wraps. Like I don't, uh, I don't announce them to the world or say even to like a lot of my friends until they become a reality. But this whole thing of like being a superhero and and the Luke Cage thing, everyone knew. Everyone, yeah. everyone knew. <laughs> and Scott was writing for it, so yeah. I go in for this audition, and it went really well. Like I yeah. just was like, yeah, no, this went great. Nailed it. Uh, so much so, yeah, so much so that he like calls me. I think probably the, a day later, he's like, dude, we we just watched your tape. You killed it. That was awesome. Blah 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 blah. So I'm like, yeah, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm in there. This is this is you know happening. So a couple more days go by, and I start <laughs> seeing like uh, uh, this publication came out. It was like, you know, uh, news about you know the the role of Luke Cage, and you know these are the people in the running. And my name's nowhere to be found. No. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, okay so that's not happening. So uh, I start, you know, licking my wounds. And it was tough because, again, my whole world all knows this, yeah. that I want this. And and then I remember it was like a couple days before Thanksgiving and I'm I'm working out. I'm looking on my, on my elliptical and, and Scott like texts me. He's like, you can keep the faith, man, or something like that. And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I, I read an article. I, I have no shot. And then he's like, don't believe everything you read. And so then my hopes go back. Like they come, Oh, no, like, Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then literally a day later, he's like, sorry, man. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's not his. We can we can he, he, he can appreciate a good razzing. That's not oh, his. Best so, so, you know, so that was rough and i just kind of thought you know it was like years later and financially we were like not really doing well at all and i just kind of thought this is probably maybe this dream is just something that timing wise has passed me by you know yeah. uh you know i wasn't like a spring chicken any, anymore and i'm like maybe yeah, you were young. Too, old, too old for these things and so and then the next thing you know like uh I see this thing about, you know, black lightning. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe someday I'll get an opportunity for that. And the script comes and I read it and like the hairs in the back of my neck really kind of stood on it. And I gave it to my wife, I'm like, you gotta read this. Hmm. Because not so much the superhero, but the the actual like alter ego of the character, Yes, it just resonated with me. I was just like, I feel like this is me. Like, I feel like nobody can play this but me. Well, even let's let's slow down for audience. So, in contrast, Black Lightning with Luke Cage. Yeah. Luke Cage is like a a loner. I think in a lot of ways, you yeah. know, uh, he was he exists in the Jessica um, Jessica Jones uh, kind universe. of world. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. Then in contrast, black, talk, talk to us about Black Lightning's alter ego. Like what made you think, what made you see yourself in him? Yeah, well, he was, um, he's, uh, this part is not me, but he was like an ex-Olympic decathlete. And that's, that's very much not me. But he, um, he's an educator. He's a, um, a principal of a high school. He has two daughters and like family and, and education yeah. were huge for him. Yeah. And those are very, you know, huge for me. Like I, again, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a rarity of an actor, a professional actor who decided to go to college and do it, do it this way. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just a big proponent of like, Oh, I want to do this. Okay. We'll go train for that. Um, I want to do that. Okay. We'll go train for that. Like, that's just how I, I do things. And yeah. my family is everything, um, for me, the year that I really, opened myself up to do black lightning like we had to sit down and go because there were so many things that weren't shooting in los angeles and so we had to kind of sit down and go okay so if i'm gonna open the door for these types of opportunities then we have to all go like the whole family's going i'm not doing an absentee dad thing that's just now how how i i roll so that was the thing I, i just his 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 persona you know really resonated with me and but then i kind of tried to hold it loosely because i was like i don't want to be disappointed again you know it was yeah. like i don't want to yeah this is my job no it's not <laughs> and the thing is is that it came so easy like even the auditions i had to almost second guess it like i left and i was like had to replay it in my mind and i was like yeah no i did that yeah i said that way i want to say it yeah because it wasn't fireworks it wasn't like it was just like yeah no that was solid okay cool i'm gonna go i'm gonna go ahead and go now Mm. and and i was living the character in the sense that like the day that i had the audition it was all the way in la and my daughter my oldest had a choir concert that night and in pasadena and when i went to when i went to the audition i forgot to sign in like i just got there and i immediately just started working over my my words and then i realized i'm like oh crap i forgot to sign in and the sign in kind of they give you an appointed time but when you sign in they kind of go by that sheet like next next oh next. so push your time back yeah so i i i suddenly i realized i'm like oh i gotta sign in and i and i and then i uh i had to like go to the casting director and i had to look at the room of other actors i'm like hey do you mind if i go because I got to make it across town to my daughter's choir concert. I bet there are dudes in the other room being like, oh, you're totally doing like, you're right. But, but it was like legit. That's and, awesome. And even the, the cast, she's like, yeah, come on. We got to get you to that concert. Oh, and, that's amazing. You know? And, and I didn't even think about it. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm, I'm like, I am this character. Like you're I'm this living character. this character right now. Yeah. That day I had an, a previous audition that day for something that it was fireworks. It was like this comedy and it was a, a Bill Lawrence pilot. And it was very much, Bill Lawrence is the creator of Scrubs and uh, Ted Lasso, the the Dr. Cox character on Scrubs. It was like, this, this was set in the tech world. And it was kind of like that type of character. To be perfectly honest, it typically goes to a white guy. And I, yeah. but it was just such a funny, awesome character. And I went to that audition before the Black Lightning audition and something magical happened. Like it was like, it was one of those lightning in a bottle moments. They were laughing at everything I did mm-hmm. and I had never met him before. And he was just like, whoa. And it was one of those where I walked out, I was like on cloud nine and it was one of the, I walked out going, if they call me back, 
I, I hope I can do that again. Like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do that again. Yeah. So then I go to black lightning and black lightning was just kind of like, yeah, you know, I checked, I did it. I checked the boxes. Okay. And, I, and then that's the one that, you know, becomes the job. It was really interesting. And so then you pivot pretty dramatically because this is iconic first black, is it? And I want to make sure I say this right. It's first yeah. black male lead on a television Am I getting all the the pieces right, or is it the first black superhero? Because I feel like there are other black superheroes. Well, it was the first. It was first black superhero because Luke Cage had, uh, was, but that was like Netflix. So the way they the the I guess the thing is like the first you know African American superhero on network television. Got it. Is, Got it. Yeah. yeah, and it's a big deal. And yeah, <laughs> and and you moving not only just carrying that mantle, but then moving from the supporting role to the lead role. Yeah. And I found an interview of you in The Hollywood Reporter where you talked about that adjustment and realizing that people are looking to you, whether yeah. you really wanted it or not, people are looking to you to lead. Yeah. Can you talk to us about your leadership journey? And I know obviously there's other people there too. There's writers and producers and everything. So if they're listening to this, I'm not saying that you know you were running the show or anything, but yeah, no, no, no. What, what did you learn and what was that like leading on set as the lead? Interesting enough, I, I think it even goes back to... Before that, I mean, it's so funny. We keep going back to college, but like, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, like, I've always been, or most of my life, a reluctant leader. That people kind of wanted to put me in that position, and I've always kind of shied away from it. I was just like, I just, I just want to be an actor. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like, and so it's taken a lot of years. I taught acting for about eight years, not as a living, but like kind of as a part-time thing. I think mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. helped me lean into being a leader directing plays helped me like i inched me along little by little so that i think by the time you know black lightning came to be i finally accepted like okay i'm a leader <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean honestly i was like okay i guess i'll do this i guess um, i'll do this now hold on what is what's that about i don't know it's just i i think i i uh I kind of at times I'm I'm an introvert really by nature and I think I like being in the shadows and and I kind of like being anonymous you know what I mean I just being like this 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 kind of anonymous artist it just it does his thing and people are like oh he's so mysterious I'm like yes and then I go away and yeah um, but then I just had these experiences where this is like a completely random experience but it really kind of changed my life where I was where I, uh, I got jury duty a long, long time ago and I sat on this jury and and then you go off to deliberate and you're like, okay, now we got to pick a jury foreman who's going to lead, you know, thing. and again, I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Let somebody else do that. And so the person who did it, like they, we elected them foreman and we start deliberating. Like I just watched them as they just wasted time. Like we were sitting there and we weren't focusing on the actual case and I finally spoke up and I was just like, um, I think we're supposed to pay attention to this here. And then suddenly somebody like next to me leaned over and was like, thank you so much. It was like, they're feeling the same thing. Yeah. And we wasted like a good day before I finally said something. Nobody else said anything. And then I started kind of from the back, almost leading us to finally get to a decision quickly. And it was a thing where I was like, man, if I had just spoken up and just been the leader, yeah. this would have happened a lot more efficiently and so that was another moment where i just 
slowly got to and being on other sets and watching people who were leaders and not liking how they led mm-hmm. and then watching leaders who I liked how they led and and experiencing the difference, um, not just for me, but for everybody around me. Yeah. I finally got to a point where I was ready to do that. And so, you know, with Black Lightning, I was I was ready to step in and 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 it's just really just be myself and realize that if I bring who I am as a human being, that's going to have an effect on the show and a positive effect on the show. And then even after probably a good couple of months into it, I started to see like, oh, I, I never ever wanted to produce. And I, and I was like, I think I want to produce something now mm. because I can, I can start from the beginning because, you know, with, with me and black lightning, it was like, once I, my job didn't start until I got cast. But there's a lot of decisions that need to get made beforehand. I also yeah. had no say in the rest of my castmates, you know, and, and anything. So I was like, oh, I think I want to be able to start from scratch so that I can help shape an environment that is a awesome, healthy, creative, fun-loving environment for yeah. everyone. Well, I love that. And one of the things I like about you, Chris, and you know, we, we, we've not been close, but I have known you for a long time and, and mm-hmm. I've been watching you from afar and, and appreciating that and enjoying that and, and rooting for you and celebrating you. I think people sometimes misunderstand leadership as like an ego thing or a, a need to be in charge yeah. versus a compulsion to make things better. Yes. Yeah. And like leadership is service. Yeah. And like even that jury duty thing, like you were like, how can I serve? Yeah. And it's fun to watch you. And for what it's worth, I'm excited because I think Black Lightning gave you now, in, in many ways, like a platform. You know, you go to Comic Con and people know who you are, and yeah. and like little kids come up to you and and their jaws are in their laps, and you know they want to take a picture or whatever. And and even the, the story that I saw about uh, like a mom who, can you, you mind telling the story real quick? Actually, yeah, I think is it the grocery store? Yeah, yeah. I remember I was in Atlanta. I was at the grocery store, and I'm at the checkout, and this kid walks by, and he looked up, and he just he was just like. And he was with his grandmother, by the way, and 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 he was just like ah, ah, and and his grandmother comes up and and she sees his reaction and he's like that's that's, that's black lightning, and she's kind of giggling and she's like I'm sorry I have no idea who you are and I'm like it's okay <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like it's okay he does <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's what's important and yeah. and then like I saw them when they were outside and I got you know I I. I I, I think I'm pretty sure we took a picture. I know like I gave him an autograph and it was interesting for me because it was like, I've done so many different things, you know, good guys, bad guys, whatever. But again, going back to the persona of this character, Jefferson Pierce, who's the character who, who is black lightning, mm-hmm. he's such a positive uh, role model. Mm-hmm. And it was really amazing. And I, I think I kind of even jokingly said something like stay in school, but I was saying it like in a joking way, but it was like, yeah. it was so great to have this kid recognize me and something that I'm like, Oh no, he could, this is something he can emulate and, you know, should be able to emulate. And I was in, I was just extremely proud of it. Yeah. And I think that's the the mantle that you get to wear. And I'm excited yeah. for you to step into producing because I think anyone who knows you would say that you are a leader and you have been for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and frankly, man, I meet so many people who have so much to offer and not just like, obviously you're an actor and you know, you, what you're professional, you're, mm-hmm. you, you can be expected to do your job and to do it with excellence when you're on set and those types of things. And I think that's right. important. And that's certainly a part of leadership. Yeah. But I think there's another thing too. I think there's a lot of people 
maybe people who are listening to this, you can like find their story and yours saying like, they're not like, they're not like desperate for the limelight. They're not desperate to be uh, seen or known or even famous or anything like that. Right. But to have this sense that there's something inside of them that can make things better. Yeah. And I'm excited for you to continue to flex that because I think you have a lot to offer as an artist, but also as a contributor to society and, and through the stories you want to tell. Uh, w- one last question. So you're working with, you're working with Nate Scoggins on this, on this thing. And, and I, uh, we had Mateo Messina on the podcast who did the score to the movie that you were, yes. you were in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's about, well, first of all, tell us the name and can you give us the log line? Cause I, there's some questions I want to ask around this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's called what remains and it's complicated. Nate would describe it as a small town murder mystery. That's how he describes it. Um, really, I, I think it's, it's about, redemption it's about forgiveness and redemption and how they don't come easy and that there is a cost to be paid there is a bit of a mystery and a surprise and so i don't want to give those things away but i think that the basic log line is a guy who murders another man's wife comes back to that same town and you play the the husband whose wife got murdered and then things yes. things go from there. Things go um, from there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and I appreciate you mentioning redemption and forgiveness because you know, you at the beginning we're talking about being in Germany and then moving here and then your parents getting divorced and mm-hmm. and then, you know, I found in some of the interviews that you didn't necessarily have a great relationship with your dad. Yeah. Not until the last year of his life, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm curious, like, what what changed, and and how did you navigate this? And by the way, I want people to pay attention to this because I think this is a really beautiful story. But also, as it's talking about leadership, I think this is this is one of my favorite stories of your leadership. Huh. So, uh, I'd love for you to tell a story about how you interacted with your dad in the last year of his life. Yeah, you know, he lived in Chicago, and then I I uh, grew up in in California, and. My, my dad was a real enigma to me in that, like, whenever I was physically in his presence, he was very loving and very present. One of the things that, like, I still hold on to today with my son is that no matter how old I got, and I wouldn't call my dad, like, this progressive guy. He's a really old school guy, but he always, like, gave me a kiss. Mm-hmm. So I learned that, like, you know, men can kiss each other and you should kiss your son. And and mm-hmm. and he would always say, I love you. But the thing is, is that when I wasn't in his presence, like he never called and and we had no interaction unless I called him. And that was always the routine my whole life. And in my 30s, I finally got to this point where it wasn't OK anymore um, because it became really weird, like. Once I started working as an actor, I I did kind of notice he, him calling me more, and mm-hmm. and so I you know it was kind of like okay, so now you're into me now like that's yeah. not cool, yeah. but yeah. I just yeah. kind of kept it down. At one point, I tried to bring it up to him when I think I was in my twenties, and I don't know either. It just he wasn't ready, or the time wasn't ready. It, it was just a lot of dodging these things, and I thought I was like cool with it. But really nothing got addressed. And so then fast forward to my 30s, and I just finally reached a point where I was like, I this is not a healthy relationship. And and I, I think I reached a point where I was like, I'd rather have no relationship than this relationship. So I sat down and I wrote a brutally honest letter, laying out like just how I felt about everything growing up. And and at the end of it, I just said, if you if you want to deal with this, like give me a call. And if not, you know, I'm done. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I sent it to him and I didn't hear from him for a year. 
And so I just kind of was like, okay, so he that obviously he didn't want to deal with this. And uh, out of the blue, he calls me like a year later and we sat down on the phone and had this long conversation where he was ready to like come to terms with all of it. When we So I laid it all out and he was taking taking it, taking his responsibility for it all, mm. uh, his part of it all. I was gaining some perspective because, uh, you know, one of the things he was just saying was just like, you know, my mom and him split up and I'm in California and he just almost like felt like, well, he must have a life. And he felt like he would be infringing on that life. And that was part of why he was always kind of back. And But we dealt with it all face, head on. And I felt it like, in a sense, leave me. Um, and so we started fresh from there and it just changed the narrative. He died unexpectedly, but we had a full year after that where he was like my friend. Like, he was like, I want to talk to my dad. I want to, and we would talk on a regular basis. My, my, um, my, um, then wife, my ex-wife, she had kind of checkered past with her parents and we would jokingly say, yeah, my dad was like our favorite one, like out of her parents, all of our parents. And then he died unexpectedly. But now it's interesting because we had had that moment. Like when I look back on it, like I don't forget what happened. Like I know the facts of everything prior, but my memory, like kind of what's left, what I'm left with is the dad I knew after we addressed it, not the dad I knew before. So Yeah, and that's powerful. And there's just a few things, you know, in the coaching work we say, there's a joke, like it's never too late to have a great childhood. Mm -hmm. And in in some ways, like I, I like that you have chosen to craft that memory based on your guys' best moments than each other's worst moments. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really powerful. And, yeah. and honestly, man, as I look at you, again, with the Black Lightning character, it was such a powerful father figure. It is as, as you know, as, as the DC universe expands and you get to be in the flash and all those types of things. I'm excited to see that. Yeah. But I think you, you bring a gravitas to those roles. And I think you've forged some character and some integrity that I think shows up on screen. Oh, and you. so I want to thank you uh, for your time today. I want to thank you for the way that you are a good role model. And I'm very excited for your future projects. We'll put all the stuff that people can watch you on in the show notes. And uh, do, you, do you have a favorite thing that you're looking forward to in terms of what's coming up next? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's not happening as of yet, but um, Nathan Scoggins and I, we are working on a, um, a potential TV show that that we've kind of forged together. It would be like my first kind of, I'd be the lead in the show, but also would be that producer um, yeah. as, as well. And so, and it, it's, a, it's a, a story kind of set in the world of, of firefighters, of wild, but of wild firefighters. Um, I guess I, I, I could say this, that people in California may know this, um, although California is not the only place where it happens, but, you know, the wildfires that are ravaging California, I think it's about 30 to 40% of the people fighting those are convicts. And there's wow. a program where nonviolent offenders go to these conservation camps and they get an extra day off their sentence for every day that they fight. They get very little money. Yeah. They learn this skill. Really up until recently, they haven't been allowed, once they've gotten out of prison, to use that skill. But um, I think that's changing. I hope that's changing. But it's it's a story kind of set in one of these camps and all about that world. And I'm wow. very excited. Yeah. That is a great pitch. That's a great pitch. Well, I'm very excited rooting for you and all the things that you do. And uh, thank you so much, Chris, for, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Good to see you, man. 
You too. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.